would you buy an apple for £100? And I mean the fruit type which grows from a tree and not the gadget variety that comes from my favourite store. Well, I've seen today's legendary guest make that sale happen in real life and in a very non-salesy way. Welcome to the Get Out Your Way podcast. I'm your host Osman Sharif from Rapid Transformation and I'm here to help you get unstuck so you can rapidly grow your business. As a performance coach for small business owners, I know how vital it is for you to truly embrace entrepreneurship from the inside out, which includes transforming your mindset and using strategies that really work with your unique talents, skills and entrepreneurial superpower. So are you ready to get out your way? Then let's get started. Hello, hello and welcome to episode number 13 and I've got another special guest with you today, a very good friend of mine, Matthew Kimberly. Matthew is the founder of The School for Selling and the creator of The Principles of Professional Persuasion. He's got a best-selling self-help book called How to Get a Grip and he works with small business owners all around the world. Matthew's funny, he's charming, he's clever and he knows what he's talking about so definitely tune into this episode. I invited Matthew on to talk about the topic of sales for a particular reason because I know that that's something that can make small business owners and entrepreneurs really get in their own way and it can make people feel icky and uncomfortable at times as well. But really, sales is essential if you want to grow your business. So if you want to learn how to sell without selling out, then you're in the right place. So let's tune into the conversation that I had with the wonderful Matthew Kimberly right now. So welcome, welcome, Matthew. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the podcast, finally. How's things going at your end? I'm just thrilled to get to spend some time with you, Osman. My pleasure as well. I can't believe it's been just over three years since we were together in the the wonderful, sunny Lisbon with um, our fellow friend, Natalie. Was that three years ago? Yep. The power of Facebook when it reminds you. So I think it was a couple of weeks ago where it popped up that reminded me. (laughs) Doesn't time fly? We had a great time, didn't we? Definitely. I know. I remember the, the sun, the, the lots of kind of masterminding, the, the touristy parts, and also just getting to know you, which was a real bonus of it. I remember dinner. Yes. Lots of dinner, lots of eating, a lot of people enjoying the, the beverages through it as well. <laughs> what a great time. Funnily enough, I've been back to Portugal a dozen times since then. Uh, I started working with a, with a client over there and you know, one of my favorite places in the world. So any excuse to jump on a plane and go and see them. It's, it's uh, become one of my favorite places. I'm trying to convince my wife we should move there, but she's Maltese through and through. Yeah, well, uh, it would be a bit of a challenge because obviously I know you live in Malta and I see all your Instagram snaps and stuff and your stories. And yeah, you, I think you've got it made there, especially with uh, the weather. <laughs> I, I don't know what I could possibly have to complain about. And I have to pinch myself and remember that because occasionally the traffic or the noise or the dust, because we're just off to Sahara, but uh, and I remember it's 10 months a year of summer and, you know, the, it's cost efficient and it's uh, tax efficient and the people are friendly and we can swim in the sea. It's fantastic. Well, you're selling that to me. I've never been to Malta yet, so definitely it's on my list and I'll pop over and we can have a, a coffee together, I'm sure, very soon. It's a bit like Glasgow, only nothing like <laughs> Glasgow. As soon as you said that, I thought, um, not according to what I'm seeing over yeah. in your stories. <laughs> Imagine Glasgow, completely change it, and that's Malta. 
So I love obviously what you do and um, I'm really interested and keen to kind of have this conversation and share your magic with the listeners here. And I love the way you put things across, especially where, you know, you help small business owners sell more and sell with sophistication. So I know a bit about your journey, uh, Matthew, but take us back in terms of how did you get to be doing what you're doing right now? It's been 20 years probably more actually. No, but, but, well, actually, no, 24 years. I started off selling myself in the street. I was a street performer. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> there we go. Yes. I was a young male escort who picked ladies up on the <laughs> Ladies were able to pick me up for a peanut butter sandwich and a cup of tea. Uh, I was a street performer, used to uh, juggle and realized very, very quickly there was a direct correlation between asking for people to put money in my hat and people putting money in my hat. I thought, well, you know, if you ask people to pay you, and often they will, as long as you've got something they want. So that began my fascination with sales. And I did all, I never did used car sales, but I did timeshare and I did windows and I did door to door and ended up via Malta and Belgium and Italy and Malaysia doing uh, owning a recruitment company in Belgium, which was a sales organization. It was uh, B2B services sitting in between people who needed work and people who offered work and taking a percentage. And it was very profitable and very boring. And I, after about three years, I realized the company was doing fine. I think we were profitable from the second year. Um, and revenues were very, very strong from from the beginning. And, and I just wanted to kill myself. I was so, so unhappy. And my relationship with my business partner was deteriorating and my son had been born. And the, the pace at which I was going meant that I wasn't going to have a life. And I'd, I'd always been interested in sales literature from about the age of 21, 22, my first uh, direct sales job. So I'd been reading sales literature and then I became a business owner and I began reading books on leadership and business management and marketing and attending networking events. And at these networking events, there were coaches, life coaches, business coaches, intuitive coaches. Most of them were very, very poor communicators, eking out a living. But I was fascinated by the world. And I thought, well, if I could do that properly, I could see myself doing that for a very long time. Yeah. And I made the decision to leave the company I founded. And now actually both of the original founders are no longer involved. And the company's doing very well, I think probably better without us in it and uh, uh, became a book yourself solid certified coach. Um, so I, I got trained up in the book yourself solid small business marketing system, which was offered by Michael Port at the time, the gentleman who wrote the book. And we became friends and then colleagues and then business partners. And I ran the book yourself solid school of coach training, training other coaches to use the system licensing program. Did that for about six years. Mm -hmm and stopped doing, I'm still an ambassador for the organization, but I don't have a, an operational role anymore, but start, uh, started about three years ago, then focusing on, on sales improvement for small business owners. And my clients are people who sell ideas and they sell art. So they're either creative people or they're in some form of, of consultancy. And since then, never really looked back work with rock stars on long-term bases, yeah. focus a lot on sales and communications, do a fair bit of speaking, written a book, and that brings us to where we are today. Absolutely. I love the fact that whenever, you, obviously, if you get to know someone and then you hear about their backstory, like I can't imagine you going into the same office every single day, working with a team and the recruitment kind of world. So but it just goes to show how all those little experiences and the big experience can take us to where we are and how it can shape our story and our paths. 
I have such respect for the, you know all about personality types, but I yeah. have such respect for the, for the type of person who, is, uh, who can continue to keep up the energy and enthusiasm working in an environment like an yeah. office. Definitely. And it takes a lot of bold encouragement as well with us to when we realize things aren't going the way that we want to. Like, I'm sure you could have probably stuck in that world and just got by and thought, right, well, this is it. But actually then going, no, 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 this isn't fulfilling you. You know, especially if you want to kill yourself, for example. I know that's, you know, metaphorical probably. Oh, no, I was deeply, I didn't, I, did, I wasn't suicidal, but I yeah. was depressed. You know, there were a lot of tears and there was a lot of alcohol and there was a lot of resistance and there were a lot of, there was a lot of hitting the snooze button. Uh, when I'm the CEO, doesn't want to go into the office that's bad right definitely and and again you see and the frustrating thing is i see a lot of you know small business owners and i'm sure you do as well matthew where even though they create what they want to do or what they think they want to do quite quickly they can get themselves into that trap of well i'm not fulfilled or things aren't working the way that i want to but then they get, they get stuck and then they don't change themselves. So from your experience, where do you see small business owners getting stuck or getting in their own way, particularly when it comes to selling or being unsophisticated in their approach? Well, sophistication is is a buzzword. And I think maybe, and I think many people will agree with me that um, most sophisticated things are very elegant and simple rather than being ornate and baroque or rococo or, or um, chintzy. There are structures and systems that we can put into place that we can follow, but we get in our own way by passing ideas through very complex cerebral mesh filters so that, you know, simple and easy, not the same thing, right? So here's a very simple suggestion. Instead of quoting 20K for your next project, quote 28K. and then that doesn't become easy because the business owner makes it difficult. So I think they second guess themselves. They think, oh, what if? Or um, if a client says, we'll get back to you, instead of saying thank you, you say, fantastic, when? And you can make it incredibly simple if you stick to the script. It's like, and I don't mean a sales script per se, but you stick to the, to the systems and the processes that can make your life easier. The constraints, everybody needs constraints. Toddlers need to get, you're like me, father of young kids, you know, you need these boundaries. You need these constraints to stop your kids running wild because our natural instinct is to be all over the place. And as business owners, we're opportunistic. We suffer from idea which yeah. means we- <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> come up with a new concept for the direction our business could go. We say yes to far too many things. And what we really need to do is put boundaries in place, boundaries around what we are prepared to do with with our clients, prepared to do for our clients, what our client is supposed to do for us. It's a series yeah. of contracts. And, and I think that a lot of business owners end up being run ragged and miserable because, well, two reasons. One, because the boundaries and the constraints aren't in place. Yeah. And so they start to spread uh, which is which is a bad thing because they lose focus and yeah. they lose sleep and they lose energy. And the other part of that is that they think that they have to follow the rules when actually what they should be doing is writing the rules. And by that, I mean, and I guess it's 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 related to boundaries. Um, but if a client calls you at five o'clock on a Friday night and says, uh, listen, I've got a really important deadline tomorrow morning, can you help? You can say yes or you can say no. And traditionally, in large consulting organizations, you say yes, or you don't get your bonus, or you don't get made partner, or you get a bad performance review. Whereas as the business owner, you really do get to write your own rule book. Yeah. You get to say, this is the way that we do things around here. And that will make you happier and healthier and mean that you will have more energy in the longer run. 
for getting things done. And that, that relates to the way that you put programs together. I overheard a conversation between two people recently. Uh, it was on the topic of webinars. Yeah. Now, for the benefit of your listeners, I'm sure are familiar with webinars. The idea is a webinar will take place, um, which is a kind of promotional, educational pitch for a product. Often it's a way of selling in a leveraged group format. And they can also be educational, but the purpose was um, for, for we're talking in, in the context of promotions. And, and person A said to person B, well, look, my problem with webinars is that they're always at really inconvenient times. There's always 20 minutes of preamble giving yeah. somebody's backstory before you get started. And at the end of it, there's a hard pitch. And if you don't buy, you feel dirty. So therefore, I don't want to do webinars. And person B turned to person A and said this question, which I've kind of adopted as a motif now which is, well, what if that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. What if webinars took place at a time that was convenient to you? There was absolutely zero preamble and there was no pitch at the end. Would you do them then? Yeah, well, there we go. That, they're your rules now. Just because people are wearing cowboy boots doesn't mean you have to wear cowboy boots. I think that's so true because, again, it's, and it's so easy to do where we can look around in our industries and you know what other people are doing and thinking that is the only way of, of doing things. But whereas actually we get to make the, the choices and the conversations. And I know we've had this conversation in the past in, in Lisbon and things, whereas, you know, for me, I, I still love working a lot with one-to-one clients and I get a lot from that. And my personality type suits that as well. Yeah. Whereas the amount of times people have said to me, you know, you should absolutely stop doing that completely because it's not leveraged. And, and I do know that from a business perspective, but it's just so easy that some people can go, all oh, right, I need to do that and actually not think about the bigger picture or what they want as well and how it fits in with them. I think you're absolutely right. That's a perfect example. And I get this all the time. You know, um, you, what you're hearing then, Osman, is, you know, in order to have an incredibly successful coaching business, you must do leverage group programs. Yeah. So you ask, well, what if that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. How can we make it not true? Well, first, how do we define success? Yeah. Then how do we charge? What's our pricing model? Then who, which clients are we working with? Then how much access do they get? Yeah. And there's a way of making all these things happen. I have a Facebook group and for I've got a, I guess it's a mastermind program, but I actually don't call it a mastermind program because I'm contrarian, as you can probably tell. <laughs> um, I, call it, I call it private coaching with an audience. And there's a Facebook group. And when people join, I say, here's a Facebook group. Please don't use it unless you absolutely have to. Okay. <laughs> and my colleagues are saying, you're crazy. If you increase engagement in the group, yeah. then people stick around for longer. And I say, but I hate Facebook groups. If you're engaging in the group, you're not selling to your clients. Yeah. You know, let's just use it as a communication channel. If you've got a question, ask me. The other thing, I think, I, honestly, I've been reflecting on this. I genuinely would never use this word and I'd be happy to be proven wrong. But I think I am a trailblazer. Okay. There is a particular business model that you're familiar with. It's called the single malt mastermind. Yes. And it's not a mastermind either. Um, it's a 54-part email autoresponder that people pay $200 a year to receive. So I say, give me $200 and I'll, I'll add you to this email sequence. Yep. And there's a little bit more to it than that, as you know. But when I launched it, people I respected, people I knew were all saying the same thing. That's either brilliant or you're either a genius or you're a complete <laughs> idiot. And I think based on the number of copycats that have sprung up in the last two years, which I heartily endorse. People often ask me, is it okay if I do this in my industry? Uh, And I always say yes. Um, I think I'm a genius, right? Because people said nobody will ever give you hundreds of dollars to to join a mailing list. People don't want to be on mailing lists. People hate their mail. People download plugins that eliminate mailing lists from their inbox. 
And I said, well, what if that wasn't true? And those people don't get the emails that Matthew actually kind of writes, honestly. It's one of the best copywriters I've ever kind of seen. So it never feels like it's coming from a mailing list at all. Thank you. That's, that's exactly what I aim for. So I'm happy that, that you feel like that. Uh, but again, that was a result of asking a question, what if it wasn't true? Yeah. So when it comes down to selling then, I love the fact that previous episodes I talk a lot about, you know, our limiting beliefs and the stories that we have in our mind. And that one question that you pose there is about what if it isn't true? That gives you that chance just to stop and question yourself and actually go, what would I do if that wasn't true? Or would that be the, the route that I would take in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really good example. So People normally go to sales, and I don't mean professional salespeople, but I mean business owners who have to wear a salesperson's hat from time to time, They, or, or frequently, or not nearly enough. They go to sales meetings with resistance. So they're saying, I hope this is as easy as possible, but I think that my prospect will be resisting buying from me. So there's natural resistance on both sides. There's resistance that you've put into the prospect's head whether the prospect knows this or not. So therefore, you think there's some resistance, I'm either going to have to break through it, or I'm going to do what people naturally do, especially empathetic people, which is meet resistance with resistance. And so you end up having this kind of combative situation or this situation where nobody's really on the same, same page. And often the prospect is ready to buy. And the salesperson needs to be convinced, not explicitly, but that's the dynamic that you bring to it. And what if that wasn't true? What if the first words out of your mouth when you sit down in front of a prospect, are really happy that we're here today, really looking forward to cutting a deal. Let's just make sure we're on the same page. The purpose of today's meeting is to see whether or not we're going to be working together, right? Right, good, because I would love to have you as a client if it's a good fit. So let's see what it would, what it would take to make that happen. And then everybody's on the same page. And you go in with uh, an assumption that the prospect is happy to be there. Yeah. And then you could go on infinitely. Well, what if it wasn't true? But then you, you start doubling back on yourself. But it's a very good example. You know, what if, what if sales conversations, the more I see this with, with my older colleagues, they don't do any convincing anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't do, I had a chat with Mike Michalowicz the other day who wrote Profit First. Okay. And I bought something of him, multiple thousands of dollars over a long period of time. And it was, we, we were both there in exactly the same frame of mind. I was there to buy he was there to sell it to me if it was a good fit. And there was absolutely no resistance, Mm -hmm. none whatsoever. And I said that, I said, was I the easiest (laughs) um, sales conversation you'd ever had? He said, you'd be surprised. He said, I just bring nothing to the table anymore. I just don't bring any expectations to the table. I assume that the right people are going to find me. And so it comes with experience and it comes with data. So experience is an accumulation of data points and people who haven't got 10 to 15 years of sales conversation experience will be lacking those data points. And so they cannot be confident of the long-term outcomes. So this might not be what your listeners want to hear, but the solution to a lack of sales confidence is to get out there in the world and experience it more so that you're confident that the outcomes will come through even in spite of yourself sometimes. Definitely, definitely. And again, it is a lot, but if I think back to even my earlier days as well, you know, when I was in the corporate world, I managed to always be in roles which were more, you know, leadership development, HR. And I was, you know, I had a few commercial kind of roles as well, but I used to always have this belief that I'm not in sales or I'm not in the commercial side of business. So when I was my own boss, Matthew, you know, there was times I'd go, I love all the parts of business. I love the doing, I love the coaching and the helping. I absolutely hated having those sales conversations until I changed it in my mind in terms of, well, actually, it's just a conversation. 
And as soon as I started to think about it that way, well, you have to have conversations to allow people to think, do they resonate with you? Can you help them? Because without that, you don't have a business after all. But it kind of started to make it feel just more natural. And rather than this big, scary thing, which, you know, people can avoid then, it's just, again, how we think about it in our mind often. Yeah. And I think, I think we can, I think as a general rule, we're not direct enough. Yeah. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean you don't listen or you don't go slowly. You can be all of those things, but you're not direct enough. Like if you're, if you're having a problem, if you're going through a tough time with your wife, Osman, for example, yeah, um, and you need to have a conversation about the state of your marriage yeah. and I'm not picking on you. I'm just, because you're my, you know, I'm sure your marriage is, is healthy <laughs> today and sometimes it's not and like every marriage, right? How do you begin that conversation? Like you need to have a sit down with your wife yeah. to discuss an important thing. What's the very first thing you say? You say, we need to talk. <laughs> I think we need a serious talk about the state of our relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Because then everyone's on the same page. We walk into a sales conversation. We go, so what's the weather like where you live? Right? How, and, and then we're, yeah, so tell me about your business. So tell me about your problems. So tell me about your concerns. So tell me about, no, we just say, I think we need to have a serious conversation to see whether or not we're going to work together. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's important, you address its importance. Definitely, because that then means, that, and I can relate to that from personal experience as well, it then means that there's not that icky transition where you go, right, we've got the niceties done. And again, I totally do advocate, you know, building a relationship and especially getting people to, to know, like, and trust you. But it then stops it from being the, okay, now how do we broach that subject? How do we move on to talking about the, the sales? So I love the fact that you put it out there on the table straight away as well. Absolutely. That's no, super important in my experience. And one of the things I absolutely hate, because obviously there's a number of people that have got different industries, et cetera, um, that I work with over the years as well and currently. And sometimes people go, I'm going to meet these people and I'm going to go here and I'm going to get them to see my presentation or what I do. And they're not even aware of what they're going into. And I think that's one of the worst things that you can do because I know when when I've ever been in that situation, it's like, a, hold on, I feel like I've been tricked. So I'm actually not then listening to what they're offering or what their opportunity is if that, that rapport has been broken or that, that promise has been broken right at the, the outset as well. Absolutely right. And I love it when we last saw each other. It was in London at the Europreneur Summit where you're one of the keynote speakers. And one thing that always sticks in my mind from what you said was, when you can sell, everything else is irrelevant. Okay, so tell me a wee bit more and the listeners, you know, what, what do you mean by that? I think that's almost right. I think, I think, I think you almost quoted me 100% correctly. I think I said that the beauty of selling, if you can sell, not necessarily that everything's irrelevant, but that you don't need any other skills. Okay. You don't need a coaching certification. You don't yeah. need to be able to make things. You don't need to be able to fix things. You don't need to be able to provide services. When you can sell as a life skill, there will always be an opportunity for you to provide for your family. Yeah. There will always be an opportunity for you to uh, be in control of your own income because mm-hmm. you can borrow five dollars, uh, five pounds, buy a bag full of rubber ducks and sell them for ten pounds. Right? You don't need any skill other than selling if you're interested in putting food on your table, and you'll never be at the mercy of somebody else's largesse or a pay or a pay packet. That's what I meant by irrelevant. Yeah, and no, I remember you saying that absolutely. And that again, I love the fact that when you put it in that way, it gives me even that kick up the backside in terms of that's why it is important to to be selling and, and not shying away from that. So it's about how do you hone those skills, how do you practice those skills and actually take action around it as well. Cause ultimately that's where you get to be in more control of your goals and, and your life as well. 
And it's just like any kind of goal setting is you have to be in control of the input in order to see the output. So people say, I hope I have a great, if you want to lose weight, you control the input. If you want to gain weight, you control the input. If you want to put on muscle, you control the number of reps you do. If you want to make more sales, if you want to get better at sales, you can't control the output. You can't control whether or not somebody will say yes. You can influence it, but you can't control it. You can't guarantee that this person is going to say yes. But what you can do is control the input. So you say, I'm going to have more sales conversations. I'm going to try different approaches until I find the one that works. Um, I'm going to be more open to talking about money with people. There are various ways of bringing it into your life. And it's not about persuasion. It's about discipline. Yeah, you, know, you can't you can't hypnotize someone into buying from you. Totally, I love it. Obviously, when we saw your presentation, which you kicked at Youpreneur, which was where you're basically That's sold- very kind of you to say so, because I tried a, a slight variation on my regular presentation there. I included I included a little bit of uh, philosophical stuff at the beginning before selling the, the um, thing. So I'm very grateful that you enjoyed it because it was a, a virgin outing. Ah, perfect. Well, it was um, class in my eyes as well, and I heard you and obviously a number of other podcasts and I've always heard this magical time where, you know, Matthew gets on on the stage and he effectively sells an apple for like a hundred pounds or a hundred dollars. Right. And I remember when when you were doing your keynote and I kind of started to listen, I thought, oh, I'm going to see it come to life in that way. And it was all about, you know, that kind of the essence of being able to see it. So it's that show, not tell where you were able to kind of really bring to life the, the 15 elements of your professional persuasion. And honestly, it was pure magic. And I'd encourage anybody, if you ever had the chance to see Matthew deliver this keynote, see it for life. So I don't want you to spoil it all, Matthew, right? And give away all your secret sauce. But what's the essence behind your keynote? And what did you want people to, to be left with as a result of the way that you're showing, not telling? Right. Well, that you you can't you know, control the outcomes, but you yeah. can influence the outcomes. And I've identified 15 points in any sales relationship from the minute you identify your prospect or they identify themselves to when you shake hands on a deal. And, and there's actually more stages after the deal is closed with the follow-up and the upsell and the increasing lifetime customer value and stuff like that. But I thought if I could get 5% better in 15 different areas, then I'm not very good at compound mathematics, but that's got to have a a serious effect on my sales results. And so I tested it and it was true. I thought, well, if I get 10% better in 15 different areas, what does that mean for the whole? Um, And so rather than say, here's a script, follow a script, or here's um, here's a mindset hack, I just give people a checklist. Here is your sales relationship checklist. If you want to increase the likelihood that the person you're speaking to will become a customer, because you can never guarantee they will, if you want to increase the likelihood that they will, here's your checklist. And we all know how the importance of checklists in in, uh, quality control, in manufacturing, in um, insurance, in, in risk mitigation, it diminishes your risk of not making the sale. Yeah. Definitely. So in terms of, I know there's 15 different kind of elements, but we can't go through them all. But if we can deep dive into a few of them and actually allow us to kind of bring to life, well, why is that important? And how do people basically get in their way when it happens? So qualification is one of your 15. So qualification is the very first first one. Yeah. So if you're going to invest in a relationship, you need to qualify the person that you're talking to. And this is nothing new, you know, sales qualification. Qualify the person in front of you based on criteria that you have personally established for whether they're going to become a client today or become a client further down the line or next year or whatever that might be. 
Yeah. Um, and many people, especially if they're in an outbound sales position where they're perhaps picking up the phone or going door to door or doing B2B and trying to cultivate leads that don't know them, they kind of get giddy when somebody gives them any time or attention. Okay. And all of a sudden, the power dynamic changes. So, yeah. hi, I'm calling from Acme Insurance, Inc. Can I speak to the head of procurement? Yes, that's me. Oh, I wonder if I could have five minutes of your time. Of course you can. What? Oh, oh, fantastic. And <laughs> yeah. then they mess the bed, right? And, and instead, we need to assess the person in front of us. We need to make them fill out an application form, virtually or actually, yeah. in order to assess whether or not we're going to invest our valuable time in giving them a sales presentation, whether that sales presentation lasts 20 minutes or yeah. three hours or three years in some cases. So we assess them according to four criteria. We assess them according to their emotional qualification. Do they want what you're offering? And the answer might be no. Um, but if the answer to do they need what you're offering, which is situational qualification, is also no, then you're going to have a very tough time. They neither want it nor they need it. Like nobody wants home insurance, but we all need it. Nobody wants a GDPR consultant, yeah, right. but we all need it. So that's a situation where they are situationally qualified, but perhaps not emotionally qualified. That's not yeah. the end of the world, but ideally they're both. They both want and need. I like to work with clients who don't need me, but want me. Okay, yeah, like that. <laughs> um, my coach, Tucky Moore, said the other day, and I've heard him say this several times over the years, he says, you know, that's the dream. These are clients who are going to get there on their own with or without you. Mm-hmm. But when they come to you, they buy speed. Yep. Cause yeah. Because James Shramko calls it backing winners. right? So you don't go to a horse race and back a loser. And yeah. as a coach, you really do. I'm not talking about therapists mm-hmm. right? or, or transformational coaches. But if you're, if you're in the business or, or sports world, you handpick people most likely yeah. to succeed and you back them. So this is the qualification. That's the third type of qualification, which is um, conditional. Yeah. Do they meet your conditions for entry? Yeah. Are they allowed in your nightclub? Mm-hmm. Are they allowed to become a client? Or do you not like them much? Because if you don't like them, again, depending on the industry, if you're selling a nuclear submarine to a South American country, you may not like the Minister of Defense yeah. in wherever, whichever country you're dealing with. But you know, in that situation, nobody really cares because it's a billion dollar deal and you're just going to suck it up and do it anyway. But the key thing there is about actually giving ourselves the, the choice and permission to go, you know, what is our criteria as well? I had a person on a call last week, just after I came back from a holiday, and I do offer like a 15-minute virtual cuppa when somebody does a few steps. So if they've done like my free quiz where we can see where their blocks might be. I had a great conversation with a, a lovely man. And he was saying, you know, actually, I really could do with someone to help me. I've been listening to your podcast. You seem like you're the right person for me. He's looking for accountability. And I asked him a couple of questions. And one question was, where do you even see yourself being? Or where would you like your business to be in 12 months time? And he honestly couldn't answer that on this call. And then he said, but I really want to work with you. Can you talk me through what your coaching packages would look like? And I said, there's no point in that because actually, if you don't even know where you want to get to it, it doesn't have to be crystal clear because obviously that's what I help people do to help them with the clarity. But if you don't even have a vague notion or an idea of that, then I'm absolutely not going to be able to help you and you're not going to help be able to help yourself. So I walked away from that call saying, go away. Here's one or two things to do. And once you do that, reach back out to me and then we'll have a conversation around that. And if your goals inspire me, if I think I can help you, 
then we can talk about the different coaching packages. And I remember at the end of that call, he's like, okay, I'll go and do my homework because I really do want to work with you. And I actually felt really good in the sense because, you know, you don't have to take every client on. But if I had said, yep, let's work together at where he was at that point, it would have been really hard work for me and not my ideal client in that way. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I would have run a mile as well. Definitely. So qualification is really key. And then you, you, another one that's in your 15 is connection. So any kind of key ways that you think people hold themselves back from building or establishing that connection from your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So connection is about attraction, right? Yeah. Things um, are connected because they're stuck together. And a really useful word that should follow at this point is magnetism. Magnets attract magnetic things and yeah. they then form a bond so they are connected so we want to be more magnetic now that doesn't mean that we need to be charismatic it doesn't mean that we need to be well i guess it does but i'm not looking for you to put on a suit and a smile and mm -hmm. go high five people at networking events doesn't mean that at all but we're connected to people who are very clear about what they stand for and they stand for the same things as us. Yeah. So it's very difficult to connect with a stuffed shirt. It's very difficult to connect with someone who's wearing 18 layers of virtual makeup. So you can yeah. never really see the person. And there, there are levels of connection, but we still, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen products that I've wanted to buy that I've realized was going to involve too much interaction with a salesperson that I was positively repelled by that I've passed on the product, right? Or I'll come back another day or something like that. And, and when it comes to connection, I think if we look at political figures or, or any other kind of polarizing figures, they are very, very good at this connection. Yeah. If you were to say, you know, flavor du jour is Donald Trump, right? Incredibly polarizing figure. And yeah. you either love him or you hate him. But if you love him, you vote him into the office of the presidency of the United States. Yeah. And that's because he's such a polarizing figure. People are so people are as repelled as strongly as they are attracted, and therefore he's able to get things done. I'm no fan of Don. I think it's a <laughs> but but he is the same for for music. Right? Yeah. So if you look at Justin Bieber, right? Love him or hate him? Yes. Yeah. You probably either love him or hate him if you know him, um, and he inspires such love that his fans tattoo themselves with his mm -hmm. face. They yeah. call themselves believers. <laughs> so you should be more like Bieber in that respect. But people think, right, well, because I'm doing my job, I therefore have to wear this coat of respectability, which I think you do. You do have to be respectable, but you don't take it to the point where your personality is, is diminished and disappeared. That's one way of making connection is to yeah. really be um, work out what you stand for and make it quite clear. So if you yeah. stand for liberalism, you're going to make sure that's front and center. If you stand for conservatism, you're going to put that front and center. If you stand for black rights or gay rights yeah. or any kind of minority rights, you're going to put that front and center. And, and, the, and the opposite is true, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a fascist, you will attract other fascists. If you're, a, uh, if you're not, then, then, then you'll attract people who are like you. Um, that's one way of, of establishing connection. The other one is to actually be genuinely interested in people. Um, and this comes with confidence as well, you know, because if you have enough sales conversations, you don't have to remember the script because you know it. Uh, and, so, and so instead you can spend time getting to know the person and people love the sound of their own voice and people love to be listened to. 
and and very often you're in such a hurry to close the deal that you miss a trick. Yeah. So many many ways to establish connection. There are yeah. tricks and gimmicks as well. And I think especially with um, a lot of the audience on here and the people I work with, they are personal brands, they are coaches, they're they're the people that have got services or products that are related to them as an individual. And the, the, we've got this great world that we live in in terms of obviously social media, right? And on one hand, it's great because it can help you get in front of people more and build that connection. But on the other hand, I can see it being quite negative in a way. Um, so any kind of thoughts on that from your perspective in terms of how does, you know, I know it's a big question, but, you know, social media, how does that help people really build that connection in today's world, would you say? Well, I think it categorically can. It's, it's, a, it's a broadcasting platform, which is yeah. egalitarian and democratic, and it allows you to find your tribe and attract the right people and become your own publishing company. So you can choose to publish your views. And, and some people, I'm not a huge user of social media myself. I quite like Instagram at the moment because it's fun. Um, I do understand as a marketer what you know the various platforms are good for in terms of advertising, things like that. But in terms of creating organic connection with potential clients, you know, the vast majority of my clients who are coaches, and not all of my clients are coaches, but some are, they're using, I'd say almost exclusively Facebook organic Facebook to attract relationships, readers, and clients. Yeah. So I think it's, it's super useful if, if it's your thing. Yeah. But bear in mind, commerce has been around for what, 10, 15, 25,000 years? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and Facebook's been around for like a second. Yeah. So it's possible to get clients. It's possible to advertise. It's possible to build a very thriving business yeah. without even having a Facebook profile. So don't buy into the myth that because, again, play your own rules. Don't yes. buy into the myth just because everybody else is doing it. You have to. And that's what I absolutely love the, that you've said this because, you know, again, I see far too many people and, and at times I could put my hand up and say, I've done this where you think, right, I need to put all my time and attention on, you know, as you say, quotes, you know, broadcast, right, where you're putting things out there and whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever social media platform is, but then not taking that next step, which can sometimes be seen as, you know, really old school, like, how do you have a conversation with someone? How do you actually have some level of engagement so that actually you're having a kind of a more opportunity to have a connection and not just thinking that you're putting all your energy into something that magically people are going to come, you know, running and knocking on your right. door saying, I want what you want. So that's why I think it's great in one hand, but it can sometimes for people, from my experience, it can make them feel that they're doing a lot of things to grow their business, but actually they're not yeah. really doing the things that are going to move the needle. That's a super important point. And I'm actually on balance. I think Facebook has been good for small business because it's just allowed people to connect with people without jumping on planes and incurring yeah. expenses of going to events and things like that. So I think it's on balance. It's very good. But what you say is absolutely right. People are confusing busyness yeah. or engagement or um, number of likes per post or yeah. double taps per picture with actually doing something that shifts the bottom line. And I think that's very dangerous. And, and when client, when I work with clients, I, I look at all of their metrics. And if you, if you are somebody who, whose revenue is directly related to the number of likes that you have on your Instagram photo, of which you're probably not, then fair enough. Maybe that's something you need to pay attention to. But I, I'd see zero correlation amongst the people I respect, admire the companies I study and follow with the amount of likes they get on a post. I got an email from somebody we both know recently, a kind of marketing email that said, um, I 
don't want to give too many specifics. Yeah, no <laughs> might listen to this uh, podcast. I, certainly no judgment here, but it was, you know, I've, I've discovered the secret to engagement on social media and this article about a cat in a restaurant um, that I shared got 500 likes and it was my most commented ever post. If you want results like this for your business, I'm hosting a webinar to teach you how to get more engagement on social media. And I thought, why on earth would me, as somebody who sells business advice, basically dollars at a discount, be interested ever in getting engagement on a Facebook post about a cat who has his own booth in a restaurant? Yeah. What on earth, what possible purpose could that serve my business? And maybe I'm being short-sighted, but um, I think we have to be careful about the kind of fame that we see. I even think back to, I did a, a weekend immersion retreat a good couple of years ago. And I remember the first time I did it, Matthew, I spent a lot of time looking at, right, I need to get the sales page sorted. I need to go and record videos for it and get it all looking amazingly. And I actually had to laugh when I was sitting there actually delivering this immersion weekend. And I looked around the room and I thought, I honestly could have just picked up the phone to all of these people, had a conversation, and they would have, you know, probably most likely have signed up in terms of, yes, I'm going to be here. And all honestly, I don't think the people that are there probably spent a lot of time looking at that sales page. Does that make sense? But yeah, of course. And then it made me realize in terms of sometimes you can, we can overcomplicate things as I keep going back onto. And actually just looking at the, the relationships that you have or the opportunities that you have, whether that's with existing clients or previous clients or, you know, those that are, have a connection with your engaging and actually just do those things that we can shy away from, like having conversations, finding out what's important to them and seeing, does it work for them or does it not, instead of kidding ourselves on. So I can go on and on and on about that, but I love the fact that what you're doing here is, and in your system, it's all about having that disciplined approach to give you a chance to go, am I actually having these conversations or not? Yeah, and uh, Michael Port, who I worked with for many years, said uh, says likes to say, do you want approval or do you want results? And I think people liking your cat falling off a ladder video is about approval. Um, and it's certainly not about results, unless the results you somehow want is to get more likes on your video than your friend has. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely. So we all have different goals at the end of the day. Um, obviously, Matthew, you've heard me speak a number of times as well in Lisbon, and then you invited me very lovingly to um, the Expert Success Summit where you were helping organize a few years ago. And you know I'm so passionate about individuals finding out what their superpower is, their wealth dynamics profile, because there's lots of different ways that we can operate or get the best out of ourselves. So I know you're a star profile from the wealth dynamics system. Um, and any kind of thoughts around, well, after knowing that or understanding that, how has that helped you in terms of in your business, would you say? I've done a lot of personality tests and I've got value out of all of them. But watching you explain wealth dynamics in Portugal three years ago was a massive, massive eye opener for me. Um, not only because it perfectly described me, yeah. um, uh, but also you, you did this really, really interesting section on how teams should be aware of each other's profiles so that you can team up with the right partner, so that you can have the right individuals working together. So from a, an organizational efficiency standpoint is it's world class this material but knowing that i'm a star has really allowed me to get let go of some of the guilt that's come with you know well maybe i should be doing this or maybe i i i should be taking that care of this or um one of my coaches says you know um, it's a mistake to work on your weaknesses but i never really got it 
Um, and what he means is, you know, why work on your weaknesses when you can work on your strengths instead? Yeah. If you're a great football player and a mediocre golfer, then you're going to pursue the football route and not the golf route, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so it's exactly the same. And you recognize, you know, the, 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 the strengths that a star profile has, recognizing that these were a legitimate value in the marketplace allowed me to double down on them and stop, well, from a day-to-day point of view, stop dealing with any administrative stuff for a start. Um, and, you know, get good at starting things, make sure I have good finishers behind me. It's been phenomenal, yeah. eye-opener, actually. It's allowed me to say no with confidence. Absolutely. And I love the fact that I remember back clearly when we were doing the, the mastermind hot seat day where, you know, the business owners on the retreat, they were having the chance to talk about their business and their opportunities and challenges. And obviously the group were feeding back and me, you and Natalie were also giving our perspective and our thoughts as well. And I still remember because obviously Natalie's a star profile, you're a star profile and the type of questions or your approach and your thinking was different from me. And I'm going, hold on a second, I'm asking the right questions or are they asking the right questions? But it just goes to show in terms of how we all approach things differently. And that's where the real magic comes from in terms of when you understand your personality and, and actually what's right for you might not be right for someone else. That's, that's a different personality or a, or a different approach would be better for you as well. Very true. Very true. So where do you think that comes into in terms of any thoughts around, obviously, from a sales perspective? I know you're not the type of person that's like, a, there's only one way to do sales. But, you know, from your experience on your understanding of knowing your superpower, how do you think that comes out in terms of even your 15 persuasion strategy parts um, and also kind of like how people build connections and any kind of thoughts on how personality fits in with selling? Yes, I think there's a lot of talk about how you don't have to be an extrovert to be good at selling. And I do agree with that. I've seen some intro, by by extroverts, I mean, anybody who's, you know, comfortable putting themselves out there. Yeah. Um, The more studious or introverted or academic types uh, can do incredibly well at um, following processes and following procedures. And so maybe... This isn't an area where I worked on a weakness for, my, for myself, but I did allow, I built that cage, those constraints that we spoke about earlier, yeah. particularly to contain my natural exuberance that goes with being the front of house person, right? Mm-hmm. Being the front stage man, um, front, uh, on, on the stage man, you're, you, you want to try to satisfy the audience. You yeah. want to try to make sure that... Um, you're not leaving any joke untold or or similar. And that can allow you to run wild sometimes. And because sales needs structures, that inspired me to formulate the professional persuasion system. I think I've got to rein myself in somehow. I could talk myself out of a sale potentially. And other people with this personality could talk themselves out of a sale. So the, the structure supports the star profiles and the extras and the structure helps the people with a good attention to detail because it's there for them. Definitely. And I love the fact that, again, people's personalities can complement each other. I remember when I was speaking at the Expert Success Summit and I was talking about the topic of your superpower and, you know, you were the, the compare as well as doing your your part as well. And I remember I got to the end of my part and obviously I was offering people the opportunity to find out what is their superpower, but I was doing it in a very my way. Do you mean the trader way where it's very much more build a relationship and if you want to, great, you know, and you can catch me during the session and follow up with me in that way. And so there wasn't that level of urgency or scarcity kind of attached to it. 
And I just remember when you were closing the session for me and you bringing your star power in there as well and going, right, come on, everybody, take this opportunity. You've got like half an hour before the next session comes on, go and do it. And that's, again, something that's more natural for someone that is more of a star profile compared to someone like me. So the reason why I bring this up is so many people, again, beat themselves up in terms of, I have to do sales in one particular way. And if it doesn't fit with you, find a way that does work with you as well. And again, looking at, you know, is there ways that you can have other people complimenting you and, and helping as well? Absolutely right. And I know, and you've mentioned already how through your career and your business so far, partnerships have been a big part of what you do, especially with Michael Poor and others that I've seen you work with as well. What drives that for you in terms of your approach of partnership and any top tips about how you've made them happen? Making them happen has certainly been, you know, I've, I've had a, a lot of profitable and rewarding joint ventures in my career. And a lot of that has been down to making the relationship happen. You know, yeah. So don't, don't be afraid to get in people's faces. Um, the beauty of, of networking, and there's a very simple guide to networking on my website. Uh, I encourage your listeners to go and download it. It's called Five Things You Need to Do Every Morning uh, to Get More Clients in the Next 60 Days. And, and that's all about networking. It's about yeah. proactively working on your relationships as hard as you work on your body or as hard as you work on your business. It's, it's of critical importance and you get uh, exponential returns because the minute your network starts to grow, it catches more fish, right? It's a net yeah. work that catches more fish. So it's easier. The more people know people, the easier it is to get to know people. So I've been very lucky. Uh, I think I got a step up by making an influential friend early in my career in the form of Michael Port. But I'm not going to give him all the glory. Yeah. I think I think I would have got there anyway without him, based on some certain disciplines. And and that's you've got to choose. The trouble is in in many joint venture or many many relationships, both people want the same thing, but they're not necessarily honest with each other. So person A goes to person B. Hey, I uh, love your business. We should totally look at doing something together. What they're actually saying is, I want you to provide me with leads, mm-hmm. or I want you to do the marketing for my business idea. And person B looks at person A and says, yeah, I definitely like that. And what they're thinking is exactly the same. I want you to provide leads and give me money. I want you to provide the marketing for my business idea. And that's a very bad situation to be in. You know, two star profiles probably aren't very good at finishing things. Yeah. Chris Winfield and I realized this recently. We organized a, an event, one day event in San Diego at the beginning of the year. And it was a killer event, but it almost didn't happen because our organizational skills were so poor, we had to draft in a third partner. Yeah. whose job was to be our boss. <laughs> our, <laughs> our meetings would just descend into chats. You know? yeah. There was no structure. And, uh, and, and so I think that's very important in relationships. So, so focus on making friends. A lot of people put their peers on a pedestal. They put their prospects on a pedestal, but they put their peers on a pedestal as well. They're like, oh, this guy has a podcast. I can't possibly approach him. Or yeah. this guy has lots of Twitter followers. I can't possibly approach him, which is people like to be approached. Um, you've got to be careful not to be a stalker. But... If you're concerned that you might come across as a stalker, you're probably not a stalker, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the people who don't care about being a stalker that end up being stalkers. If you have enough social awareness that you're worried that you might be a little bit too much, yeah. you're not. Push yourself a bit harder. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that's, you know, again, you know, partnerships have been a great way for me over the years as well to, to have great opportunities come. And often you don't even know what's going to happen, but there's a connection. There's something that kind of sparks you in terms of you get on with that person or there's a synergy in that way. But the way I see people sometimes falling short on it or holding themselves back is if they go in too quickly and they go there with a, the real purpose or intention and actually not building that relationship, first of all. And that can have a, a long-term damage yeah. or 
not actually going anywhere from my experience. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think equal partnerships are always a very bad idea. I've never seen an equal partnership work well. Um, you always want to be either the majority partner, or if you can't be that, you want to be a minority partner. You don't want equal partnership things. Things all partnerships over not every project, but long-term partnerships yeah. always experience issues and difficulties. If you're both equal in the eyes of the law or in the eyes of the contract, then often it becomes a dissoluble solution. Yeah. So Matthew, this has been absolutely amazing and we could talk on for hours and hours. And obviously I know you talked about the guide about five disciplines, which I'll connect onto the show notes. But where else can people find you? I definitely recommend your emails are gold. So I'd encourage everybody to to at least get your regular emails. Um, so where's the best place for people to find you, Matthew? Thank you, Osman. I think they should go to matthewkimberley.com and give me your email address and drop me a line and say, hey, um, I'm a friend of Osman, so you'll automatically be a friend of mine and we can become pen pals and you can come and visit me in Malta and I'll take you out for lunch. And more importantly, um, I'll write to you occasionally and hopefully add some delight to your life. That's all I aim to do. Perfect, perfect. So thank you, thank you as always, Matthew. And I'm sure we can have you back on a podcast in the future. So until next time, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, everybody can find the show notes over at rapidtransformation.co.uk slash 13. I'm sure you'll agree with me that that was a fantastic conversation that I had with Matthew and I hope you enjoyed eavesdropping into that. We could obviously have talked for more and more and more on lots of different topics, especially about sales. And I really do hope you've got some key nuggets to help you now go, right, what am I going to do? And question some of those stories in your mind and also look at how do you install that discipline in terms of increasing the level of opportunities that you give yourself to really hedge those bets in your favor by having more sales conversations. So obviously myself and Matthew talked a lot about the power of knowing your entrepreneurial superpower. So if you're sitting here thinking, what is my superpower? And if you don't already know what your wealth dynamics profile is, I'd highly encourage you to take action right now so that you can understand which of the eight personality profiles that you're more aligned to in terms of being an entrepreneur so that you can decide what the best strategies and actions will be to help you increase your business and to help you get out your way. So you can find out how to take your wealth dynamics profile to discover your entrepreneurial superpower by going to the show notes at rapidtransformation.co.uk slash 13. And also, if you have any questions about your superpower, then please do reach out to me at Osman, that's O-S-M-A-N at rapidtransformation.co.uk. And I look forward to sharing more with you next time. Bye for now.